you can do one thing today that probably is going to impact your health, I'd suggest trying to cut sugar. If we start eating mostly whole foods, again, it doesn't have to be 100% because I'm a big enemy of perfection. Uh, try to follow the good enough approach. So following Pareto's law, right? Like that 20% of what you do is going to probably give you the 80% of your results. In this case, let's turn it around and think that, yeah, the diet can be 80% perfect or 80% good enough and try to make that 80% focus on whole nutrient-dense foods with minimal sugar. And you're probably going to get incredible results. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I am your host, Bette Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids. I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly. The world needs you. Hi, everyone. It's Bet. Welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. I hope each one of you are having a good week. And if you're not, hey, that's okay too. You know what? Last week was kind of overwhelming. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Spencer was traveling for work. The kids had like 1 million activities. My job has been extra busy. I had some really important meetings and negotiations. And I swear by the time Spencer arrived around midnight on Friday, I think I was just about tapped out. Oh, to top it off, I am organizing our family reunion and also in the process of interviewing potential new au pairs because, as you know, we have an amazing au pair that lives with us that is one of our child care providers. As Spencer and I both work full-time and have six kids, 11 and under, and not that you need to work full-time to have babysitters or help of any kind, and we know it is a huge blessing, but it is obviously a requirement for our lives and a beautiful one that it is. However, all these things, I swear, last week just were like hitting all at once. And do you ever have that happen where you just think like your to-do list just kind of comes crashing on you and you're like, how am I just going to get through all of this? And then I think, you know, in processing it, what makes it the hardest for me is then I feel like my mood suffers, right? Like I feel like I get a little crabbier or short-tempered. I will kind of like just not answer as gracefully to my children. Like they'll ask me something and I may not answer them in the tone that I should, or maybe I'm more short, you know, instead of giving them the answer that is maybe deserved. Maybe they have a really creative question. And this question deserves a really good response. And instead, because I'm tired and a little overwhelmed, I kind of go shorter on them. However, the bright side in all of this is that we as parents or people in general, we tend to be a little too hard on ourselves. And I guess what I want to tell you is that if you are like me and you have had a week like that, 
It is normal and okay. It's also really good to admit it and just tell a friend. You don't need to tell the world. You don't need to tell it all over social media. I mean, you can. It's totally your life and and everything. But sometimes just talking to like one or two friends about it can really, really be helpful. And truly, I'm not saying these things for a pity party either. I have so much to be thankful for in many ways. My life is much easier than many people in the world. And I know that and I recognize that. But we're also able to admit when it's a harder week or a more challenging week. And sometimes with all the things we have going on, it just can kind of all hit at once. And in many ways, it's a compliment to my husband who is an amazing partner on this journey. He often is the one that cooks dinner. He pitches in so much. And gosh, we miss him when he's gone and traveling for work. And it's a lot of work to compensate for that difference. So a few things that I do while he's gone to kind of keep it a little bit more fun are I let the kids all sleep in my room and we kind of do a sleep overnights. Maybe we watch a movie here and there. I also really, really try to simplify while he's gone. And if you are just having a really hectic week, I recommend the same. The other thing is, is I try to ask for help. And I don't just mean like babysitters and things like that, even though a mom's helper or something like that can be great. There are likely a lot of people out there ready and willing to pitch in just a little bit. And small little examples of that are, do your kids have an activity? And if someone gave them a ride home, that would save you a solid hour in your day. Maybe it would prevent you from having to wake the baby up, whatever that may be. Why not ask someone if they can pick your son or daughter up? What's the worst that can happen? They can't do it. And they're probably going to feel flattered that you ask them. I actually always feel flattered if someone asks for my help. It feels really good to get asked. So it's not always this thing like we're, we're putting a burden on somebody. And if the person is going anyways, you're not adding that much more to their day. And hey, maybe you can repay the favor someday too. Another thing that really, really helps me when I am feeling overwhelmed at different tasks or projects that I have in front of me is I just have to slowly chip away at it. So yes, accept that you're not going to finish it all today, but how can you take one step forward on that item? How can you just chip away at that block of ice and slowly make that ice sculpture a little bit more clear, right? And there's a lot of projects like that where if you just slowly chip away at it, it's going to feel less and less daunting and less and less overwhelming. The other thing that I love to do is go for a walk and get outside. However, last week was a little bit one of those weeks where I just couldn't figure out how to fit in as much exercise as I wanted to. And that's okay. Those weeks happen. And I just tried to watch my portion sizes a little bit more, tried to not eat my feelings, which is really, I think, easy to do when you're tired and stressed. And I tried to get my sleep. Really, at the end of the day, that helps me a lot. 
And then I tried to simplify. And maybe for some of you, that is getting takeout. Maybe for someone else, it is using paper plates instead of your glass ones and doing the dishes. Sorry if some of you don't like that, but hey, Sometimes a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. Bottom line, long weeks, hard weeks in life, it's just inevitable. And the more we can just recognize that, I think it really helps to know, okay, this is normal. It's not going to last forever. And to be honest, it's never usually as bad as we think. And in fact, most things we have anxiety about They're never as bad as you think. And I remind myself of a few things. Tomorrow will be better. Easy life often makes boring people. That's what I see. Some of the most interesting people in this world, they did not have an easy life. They actually had a hard one or had some challenging times. I like to think when I have those kind of weeks that they are helping me to be the person I was called to be. So I'm going to do my best and I hope you can join me. I'm going to let the hard make me a little bit wiser, stronger, bolder, and I hope maybe the hard can do the same for you. Today's guest is Luis Villasenor. And what did my little rant have anything to do with today's guest? Well, Luis speaks my love language because he talks about simplifying and saying no and tips that he has learned from years and years of coaching in the nutrition and health space and how those tips and tricks can help you take steps forward on your health journey. If you don't know who Luis Villasenor is, he is a well-known in the fitness and health community. He is the founder of Keto Gains. He is also the co-founder of Elemental Labs, which is the company that created the Element Electrolyte Packets. Many of you use those on your fasting or health journey. There is the flavorless kind that you can use if you're clean fasting, and then there's all the other amazing kinds like watermelon salt and chocolate salt you could put in your coffee, all these things. They are truly, in my opinion, the best electrolyte packets out there in the market. I highly, highly recommend you check them out. But Luis, if you see a picture of him, he looks like a he-man. He really does. Like He is just strong and fit and vibrant. And he recently got married. Congratulations, Luis. He has some really, really great tips for each one of you on your health journey today. Listen to Luis. Listen to his expertise. And then you have the ability to filter through and figure out which one of these, whether all, some, or none, applies to you and your journey. Because the goal of living your Big Bold Life podcast is not to provide you with this huge long list of to-dos and overwhelm on your health journey. And if that's what is happening, please stop listening because this podcast is all about helping us all get healthier, but have approachable, simple tools that can work even during life's overwhelm even during the hardest of weeks. And that is what has been so powerful about this podcast is that I have this tool belt that I can use 
different tools at different times when they apply. Last week, I would have loved to use my exercise and gym tool more. Guess what? It just wasn't in the cards for me last week, no matter how hard I tried. But what were other tools that were there for me? What I was eating, what I was drinking and not drinking, how much I was eating and drinking, and many more. So my friend, if your health journey is being complicated by the tools in your life, maybe, just maybe, you're using the wrong tools. Because as Louise says so clearly, it's really quite simple. And when we simplify, guess what? It's maintainable. It's doable in our crazy, crazy life. I'm happy to report Spencer's back. I'm feeling a little less overwhelmed. And today is a new, beautiful day. Keep listening to Living Your Big Bold Life podcast, where I hope we provide you a plethora of tools for your tool belt, ones that are approachable, simple, not always easy, but simple, and doable no matter what your life looks like today, tomorrow, this week, or this year. That is my goal, my friend. Now, let's get to Luis. Hello and welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas, and today I have the immense pleasure of welcoming Luis Villasenor all the way from Mexico City. And many of you know Luis through social media or through keto gains and really his long history of being an expert in health and nutrition And if you don't know, Luis, I am so excited to introduce him to you today. We are going to tackle so many topics that are questions you ask all the time about how to eat healthier as a family, keto mistakes, plateaus, stalls. We're going to touch it all. So without further ado, Luis, thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Beth. Well, Luis and I both share a passion for wanting everyone to keep their health a priority. And before this episode started, we were sharing about kind of how we implement tools in our family and in our personal lives, especially as we are super busy. And Luis, I want you to share what you just said before you kind of introduce yourself. You shared a real light bulb thing where you were saying that by implementing health tools in people's life, people often think it's going to be more difficult or it's going to add things to your life. And I want you to share what you really believe in that regard. So I'm a firm believer, and it's one of my pillars in the recent recent years of keeping it simple. Yes. Diet-wise, simple is better, less chances of... Uh, you know, uh, less deviations, less margin of error, just as, you know, with uh, making decisions with many different things. And this was a light bulb moment for me many years ago when I was studying some marketing stuff, because apart from being a nutritionist, I'm very passionate about marketing and business. And I like to read and implement certain things and very much things that actually work in marketing and business also work in our body in a way we're very much like an enterprise. So we have resources and how we use them and adjust them can actually give us better or not so good results, right? So once I learned, for example, that uh, you recall, for example, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and many high-end entrepreneurs, they usually wear the same clothes every day. Or every time that they 
appear in public appearances, you always look at them with the same clothes or the same style. And apart that from being a tricky marketing for you to identify them or that you don't know when that picture was taken, one of the reasons why they usually wear the same-ish clothes every day is because a typical person makes about 60,000 decisions per day. So they themselves, they just want to keep their decision-making skills or what they think as uh, honed as possible and things that actually are important for them. And so what they dress, like waking up and deciding what they're going to wear, is at their very low priority for them. Mm-hmm. So just imagine that you're going to the gym and I've seen people and I was a culprit myself. You have to coordinate your shoes with <laughs> the thighs and the sweatshirt to look incredible while you're lifting. It's like no one cares but you probably, right? Right. And so on, how much energy are you actually using in that case? Now, we were saying, okay, 60,000 decisions per day. The more that you have to think about things, you're actually getting tired in your mind. And so by a certain time of the day, the chances that you're probably going to make a bad decision are higher. And usually these are related to food decisions. And also if you are tired, if you are well-fed or not actually nourished, etc., etc., etc. Stress is very much like a boiling pot. So if you don't let go some of that steam, it's going to explode. And usually, again, if we look at most of us when we're hungry, when we binge, or when we're, yeah, we break the diet, usually it's late in the evening, yeah. right? Because we've had it up to here, of, you know, that day and everything else. And we were probably dieting and doing everything correctly until this point. And this point is where we're tired, the kids are screaming, you, don't, you didn't have time to exercise, you have lots of accumulated job, uh, work to do still, everything, you know, whatever, just one little more thing, and it's the boiling point. So diet-wise, if you don't have to think about what you're going to eat because you already have it prepared, maybe you cooked in, uh, in bulk before, if you probably, the same with, uh, things with wearing, you probably have your preset uh, clothes already prepared or whatever and things like that keeping it simple makes it super easy and with a easy to follow schedule to not really deviate you know in a way and this comes to also this is something that's been very hard for me but i actually been working on it for the last part, past years saying no and this goes not taking an extra job not taking an extra work related issue even if you want to do another thing for example, with lots of my clients, and I'm, uh, we're just talking with, with one of them that's going through the same process. She's taking jujitsu classes. She's uh, doing boot camp, which is her program and includes lifting. She's doing the diet. And she decided in the span of a moment to also take saxophone classes. And every time that I was talking with her, she was like, she's really not enjoying the saxophone classes. It's like, why don't you stop with them? It's like, well, I've already invested and I've been doing them for six months or so. It's like, do you actually like them? No, she actually dreaded at the time when she was about to have the classes. It's like, just say no. You don't have to do it. It's like, like it's, that's not a requirement for life. And when I talk to many other clients, it's about the same. You tend to say yes to maybe an extra meeting that you don't want to have and you're not really required to do an extra venture or an extra idea for a job that, it's really not re- even going to bring up money, but you ended up saying yes because of a favor or whatever. So yeah, it's okay sometimes 
But if you just finish the task and then you add another, and now you don't have time for you, probably there's something else that it's not right there, right? Because there are some people that are addicted to doing so many things, but we forget to give us time. So I have this sort of rule that, okay, I have work for maybe six or seven hours a day. I have two or three hours for me that can be exercise or just reading a book or learning. And maybe the other hours that are left, of course, not counting sleep, doing something with family or with the dogs or something that's either not hobby related, not job related, and maybe it could be learning. But again, it's balance between work, learning, uh, hobby, and family time in, in, in an abridged version. Yes, I think that's so huge. You know, I see it a lot in like the schools where moms and dads are saying yes to things that they really are doing out of guilt, not because that's where their skill sets are. Mm-hmm. You know, a great example would be sometimes as a working mom, my skills are more on the financial side or the marketing side for a school. And yet sometimes I feel this guilt in wanting to volunteer doing something else. And maybe it's to uh, go on the field trip or something. And really my skills, my gifts, where I can give back the most is helping them maybe with their budget or their fundraising. And so I've had to kind of force that to say no to that other area, unless it's spending time with my child. If it's, if it's time spent with my child, great. But in the end, what I was finding a lot of times I was saying yes to things just out of guilt, or I wasn't enjoying them, like you said. And There's this funny thing with, I don't know, I do think it's a little bit of more of a gender thing. I do think women just have this like guilt about pretty much everything. And and so saying no, it's so funny. They can't say no to anyone else, but they can say no to themselves. You know, they can say no to them going for a walk, getting outside, having some learning time, having some personal time. But they can't say no to anybody else. They just, they're like, oh, I can't possibly. But you're saying no to yourself all day. So I really love that advice. I think that's huge. Yeah, it's uh, and again, it's not really being rude because a lot oh. of people are don't like to say no because they are afraid of saying no, rude. But it's about thinking and putting yourself also in a place, in an important place, because we give and give and give at the expense of us. Mm-hmm. And if we're not, healthy in our mind and in your physique in health wise, eventually we will not be able to give anything because we don't have anything left to give. It's so true. It's so true. You know, I, I'm a big believer that I really want to change this dialogue of health being selfish. And I really believe that the healthier we are in mind, body, soul, whatever you want to call it, the ability to give back grows, the ability to give back more. So when we're fully healthy in those areas, I feel our potential just is is unlimited. And I think that's the the mistake we make. We think by saying no, we're being rude, or we say we're saying no, we're being selfish, or and and if I could change just even one mom out there and say, by saying no to this, if you're if your cup's empty and you have nothing to give 
you're going to give so much more if your cup is full. You're going to be able to fill 10 other people's cups, but you got to fill yours first. You got to fill it first. So, so when you're talking to and coaching these, these families, these women who just think it's just too hard. I don't have time. Uh, this is, this is too much, Luis. What are some things right away that you think can help them on their diet and their uh, kind of health lifestyle right away that you are kind of your your first go-tos when you're helping clients? So first, this would be a, very much a diet revamp. Mm-hmm. Instead of going all in and doing 20 different new things, I like to call it uh, the, this approach, the onion approach. Okay. So it's not because you're going to be doing a diet that you're only eating onions. <laughs> it's like an onion where you implement one thing at a time, pretty much. So you like peel one layer yep. and then you peel another and so on and so forth. Because if you try to do 20 different new things, you're only going to break yourself. And this is usually the approach that most people, most human tends to tend to do. I'm going to start this diet on Monday and I'm going to head to the gym at 5 a.m. and do two spinning classes and Zumba, then uh, body shock, and then eating only one cup of rice and broccoli for the single day. Okay, maybe you do it for one or two days and then you break, then you binge, then you deviate from the diet and then you hate yourself, which is worse, right? So it's always this uh, like binge purge, self-loathing cycle that usually a lot of people find ourselves trapped in. And instead of doing 20 different things, both diet, training, etc., it's more so let's find what's the lowest hanging fruit. Let's review your, your diet, what you're currently doing. And usually the approach that I do for certain clients is let's not even count calories. Let's just revamp and include healthier food. Let's not even count calories, more so let's eat so that you're satiated and that you feel energized and then we'll start incorporating other things because if i put you to run and lift and do new things because doing new things usually is scary uh-huh. but, um, versus doing small changes that you can control and you're not going to feel overwhelmed the approach is going to be much more easy to manage and probably more sustainable right right so again instead of doing all different changes in the kitchen and trying to do different recipes and all that thing. It's like, no, let's just take it easy. First, let's change, for example, drinks. Yeah. Let's ch- stop eating junk food. Mm-hmm. Let's eat more until you're satisfied, healthy food, lots of vegetables, lean meats or more meats, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And let's see how it goes with a lot of people that usually takes, it gives them a lot of results. And what they feel is now they feel motivated. They feel energized because usually for some people, it's not about not having the time to go to the gym. It's not having the energy. So when you actually start doing these kinds of changes, you realize that suddenly that energy that you thought you'd never have, now you have it. And now those maybe one hour at the gym doesn't feel that dreadful. It actually cherishes it and it's actually becomes your, your time. You actually want to go there. Versus that example that I was giving about the saxophone classes, right? Right. You actually are waiting for it and you want to go there. So again, this is a very easy approach and that you can actually incorporate with the whole family, be it keto or paleo or low carb, or even 
uh, more standard, you know, uh, with carbs diet, as long as you take certain foods away, over time, it's going to be much better than likely what you were already doing, right? Right. Another thing that some people hate me for it, but I think it works very well is I usually do some kinds of um, first uh, like an interview with clients just to, you know, get to know them a little bit better that they get to know me. And just by tacking, I can see what their, uh, what I call their limiting factors are. And usually when I see that they give me names of certain foods with uh, like a, using words like my coffee, my cheese and things like that, then I'm realizing that those foods are probably your crutch on your mm. problem, right? So it's like, okay, so I like to eat my cheese. Ah, oh, maybe cheese is a big problem for you. And so maybe we have to limit or take away the cheese for a while. And it's so funny how many people are, for example, reluctant to avoiding cheese from their diet. It's like if it, if it has so much power over you, then likely that food by itself is a big problem, mm-hmm. right? I noticed that with kind of three main things. I noticed that if I talk about someone's coffee, what they're putting in their coffee, their wine, their, if I mention their wine or the alcohol, cheese, beloved cheese, that is so, those are sometimes nuts are in there too, but you're exactly right. Most of the time, if you just do some self-reflection, you know what is kind of your problem child. And some people get really bothered when I say those things because they're like, well, bet I want to have a balanced approach and da-da-da-da-da. But what I found, and I can only speak for myself, but I found that when I take breaks from things that I've become super reliant on, like for instance, when I first did keto, And I think a lot of women do this. And I'm curious to see if you agree. I just thought that meant eating a lot of meat and cheese. So I ate way too much cheese. I really did. And I found that when you take breaks from things, let's say it's cheese. Hey, my cheese. I'm not going to have my cheese for a while. Your habits change and they improve. And what used to be a reliance on that food, maybe it comes back into your diet and it's more of a treat. It's more of a a special thing. And I think you can apply that to alcohol, to uh, whatever's kind of a thing that has infiltrated your diet, but maybe isn't helping you get to your goals. Totally. And and the thing with cheese, I like, I'm half Spanish. I love cheese. It's like in my veins, <laughs> right? Like, when I was a child, I was little mouse. That's how my grandfather used to call oh, me. I, I even, love it. He tells this story of me once coming with a rat trap in my hand because that I wanted to eat. Well, I actually ate the cheese that was a mouth. And I actually went and put my hand in the in the rat trap, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have it in my in, in my blood. I love it, but I don't have it. Right. Because that's one of my kryptonites. And what I do is I save it for special occasions, maybe once a week when I visit my parents or if I'm in a restaurant and I try to get a wood quality cheese. Because when we notice, and in the States and in Mexico is very similar how we eat cheese. Yeah. And again, I know my people because <laughs> I used to joke again. I, this is a story for another time. I was very overweight when I was a kid. Then I went anorexic. But again, I, I have a fat heart, a fat soul, right? Yeah. So it's, mm-hmm. I'm someone that likes to eat a lot. Me too. 
And so, again, I don't want to offend anyone. If someone's offended, I apologize in advance. But the, again, Mexican culture is a little bit more tongue-in-cheek in this uh, sense. And, and so I say that I have a fatty soul, means mm-hmm. alma de gordo. It's like I like to eat very much. So I know my people, right? It's like yes. I know what we like. And I realize uh, when you are cooking and preparing foods, like, okay, I'm going to do cheese casserole. And you're cooking the food. Mm-hmm. Probably while you're preparing it, you're probably eating 20% of that cheese. You already ate it when you're preparing it. Right? <laughs> totally. We're all doing yeah, I'm going to do, I don't know, a burger with cheese. Okay, I slice the cheese and it's one bite here, one bite there. And again, probably have five slices and I ate three of them while preparing the food. And this is, you know, it happens. It's just like it is. So again, keeping it simple, if I know that cheese is one big deterrent for me and getting my results, let's try and avoid cheese for four weeks or three weeks and see the difference between having and not having cheese on my physique and my diet. Version A, the same diet with cheese matching calories and the same diet without cheese and nuts and things like that. And we know that usually probably are not going to be the best fit in the diet. And time after time, experience-wise, on myself and thousands of clients, and we have that even as a very strong suggestion in our programs is if you want to have the best results, let's avoid and limit cheese, dairy, and nuts. Mm. And it's for this special reason. Outside of having a causing inflammation for some people, or that some people may be diary that have an energy or whatever the reason, right. right? Just because the abundance of calories and that we overeat on them, even if we try to portion and calculate and etc. Once you do this test and you say, I'm going to try the test and eat like that for three or four weeks, you see that maybe those two pounds that were not bulging and you were in this plateau, they usually disappear. And then you realize that that food had this much power over you. Mm-hmm. And again, just letting it go. And I'm not saying forever. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of difference. And then you realize that you don't, don't even like it that much. And when you introduce it back on special occasions, you actually enjoy it much more. Yeah, I think you're you're so right on. Don't you think, and you mentioned things we drink, don't you think that can apply to coffee, things we put in our coffee and and cream and and some people love their their sugar and and different things or smoothies i'm I'm thinking of all these things we drink that that are kind of maybe inhibiting our journey and we don't realize it we we think oh it's it's fine but you remove it and you're like oh i feel better (laughs) like it's two stances First, on, on alcohol, as much as people would like to make alcohol fit on a diet, if you want to lose body weight, which is different from maintaining, mm-hmm. alcohol, for those that don't know, actually interferes with fat burning. That's a given. That's how it is. I didn't make the rules. I, could, I hoped I could change the rules, really. I, I don't make the rules. It's, uh, it's biochemistry. Alcohol has precedence over fat burning because it's a poison for our body. So as long as we have alcohol and it stays in our body for eight to 48 hours, depending on what type and how much we drank, your fat burning ability is going to be diminished or completely put on pause. So the worst thing you could do that wise is actually having uh, you know, that uh, wine and cheese night because fat that you, because fat 
but burning is impaired. Basically, if you're going to be drinking and having fatty snacks, those fatty snacks go directly into your fat cells. Yeah. The, the actual hack to gain as less, because you're still maybe going to gain something or maybe just maintain, if you're going on a, you know, to drink at night, it's likely either don't eat at all mm-hmm. or just eat lean meats, basically just protein. And that would be the least offending way to drink. Now, I don't suggest drinking more than once a, in a week. And if you can't even avoid that, when your main objective is fat loss, that's the best record. I know that some people are social butterflies and so on and so forth. But then, so what you need to do is taper down calories on that day, drink only hard liquors or dry wine and avoid eating especially. But, you know, usually when you drink, you also want to have certain foods. Yeah, and, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's like the, the hard part of it. So you, you need to learn to balance and understand which part of your journey you are so that you either decide if you skip that or you balance it out, etc. It can be done. It's very difficult. But if you find yourself that you're, again, in this spinning wheel where you're not getting progress, maybe tap it down a little bit on that and you will find that you start getting results. And in the case of the, the other things like adding stuff to coffee, that's why I normally suggest just drinking black coffee. Yeah. I know, again, a lot of people is like, but it's my coffee and I love it like that. If you start to taper down, for example, I had this client that even though artificial sweeteners per se, some people believe they're dangerous, some people really don't care, or that they increase blood sugar or they don't, whatever. I don't think it's healthy if you have more than one sachet per day, just again, because of keeping it as simple as possible, because we don't know, there's no point in having a lot more. Use it sparingly, but I've had clients that... Okay, how many are you using? Four sachets. Oh, well, that's not for too much per cup of coffee. And then they have like four or six cups of coffee. It's like, that doesn't taste like coffee. It's like one sachet of coffee of, of any sweetener usually is like 10 to 100 times, depending. And maybe I said something silly, but it's a lot more sweet than actual sugar, depending on the actual type. And now you're using four of them. So that pretty much tastes like chocolate. So what happens is that your palate is uh, overstimulated and what you need to do is gradually taper down so that it resensitizes to the actual taste of things. Yeah. yeah, for you, coffee is going to taste like dirt because you're adding four sachets to, it, to, to one of it and probably uh, milk and many other stuff. So, okay, gradually, instead of using four sachets, let's use one. Then let's use half. Then maybe just use four uh, stevia drops. And you will find that if you take that gradual approach, it won't be as harsh. And then instead of using milk and using creams and so, let's change, for example, to unsweetened almond milk. If you do gradual changes like this, again, the onion approach, you will find it likely more sustainable. And before you find it, of course, uh, maybe changing from a 200 calorie coffee to maybe a 20 calorie coffee is a big difference for a lot of people. Yes. Taste-wise, I think that gradual changes will make a big difference. But those calories that you're saving, 150 or 140, or even if it's just 20, make a big difference in two aspects. Over time, it's like, again, we're talking maybe one or two or maybe found five pounds in a year that you lost without doing anything. So it's a big win. And second, you change your palate. And if you change it in this thing, 
and in any and many other things gradually at a time, it makes food in a way, yeah, you may think it makes it more boring, but when you actually go back and learning the actual taste of things, it's a big win for maintaining your weight. Yeah, I cannot agree more. And what I found is I've just been now pursuing better coffee because what what happened was when I was putting heavy whipping cream in my coffee, my my beloved heavy heavy whipping cream, I wasn't just having one cup. I was drinking it throughout the morning. I was less likely to drink water because I'd always pick the coffee over the water. And even if I switched to decaf, and then I literally could have probably just been drinking really crap coffee because it was like, you know, a milkshake. It was like a, you know, it was a dessert that I was, that I was uh, surviving on. And, And it, I tell people all the time that it is, Yes, I know it seems really hard. I know you live for your morning coffee, but I agree with you that that small change is such a difference maker. And then you start going to real food more. And I notice this with moms, you know, they're busy driving around the kids, they're dropping them off at school, they're running around. So they're sipping on coffee all, all day with their creamer, their stevia, whatever and it, or going through the drive-thru guilty. I, I literally used to joke that my car had a magnet to Starbucks, like, you know, a magnetic force to went, went there. I had got my latte. And I think us moms were walking around that we don't feel that great because it's really not make, getting us the nutrients we need. It's, it's getting us a lot of fat. It's changing our, our palate. And then we're wondering why we don't feel very good too. So I'm all on the black coffee I love having it as a treat, like like coffee with some cream in it or coffee with some almond milk in it after like a special dinner out at a restaurant or a cappuccino. That's out, that's now a treat. It's not my everyday thing. Yeah, totally. And, and you, you said something before, like you start to actually enjoy coffee for what it is and enjoy the different grains and aromas. Mm-hmm. And you realize you were missing on that. Again, I, I don't have anything against people that love Starbucks. It's a convenience. Uh, uh, that's how I see it. If I need coffee and if there's a Starbucks, I'll have one. But I actually prefer to make my own coffee at home. Mm-hmm. I even like my thing is cold brew, right? Yes. So I have this uh, device to make it. And, and now I just got gifted by Tyler, one of my right-hand man in Keto Gates, my co-founder. He gifted me a cold nitro brew coffee maker, which I haven't started using yet, but it's very much like a Lamborghini to make coffee. And the great thing is that you can make it out of, out of uh, any ground coffee that you, you have. So it's just about a trick of finding the one that you actually like and smell more, right? It smells with the better and tastes the, the, the best. Right. And then you, then you kind of, and you look forward to it. And that coffee that you thought you would never be drinking, you're like, I love it now. I really look forward to a really good cup of coffee. So What's your take on smoothies? And I see a lot of people in the health space or when they're trying to get healthy, they will rely on smoothies a lot. What is your experience and what would you like to share about that? So it's a two-edged sword, really. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, they're a great source to getting nutrients in, especially if you're run, running, you know, don't have time, etc. But it's the same line of thinking with protein shakes. Yeah. Going back to how people envision a diet. Oh, I'm going to be more healthy, so I'm going to have three protein shakes and two smoothies. 
and then you realize that it's 12 o'clock and you're starving mm-hmm. and you probably already have all the protein and the calories that you needed. Why? Because by having liquid foods, your body digests them more, more rapidly. And that's one of the reasons they are pre-digested, you know, way processed means that they are pre-broken down. So you're robbing your, your body of certain work. Again, in certain situations, they have a place, Yeah. but I have my clients eat mostly solid food because one of the tricks to losing weight, if that's what you're aiming for, is getting enough nutrients in slow, in small calories, mm-hmm. but also staying satisfied. The number one reason people break a diet is because they're hungry. And the second one would be cravings or, you know, in between both of them. If you are satisfied so much that you really imagine that you just ate at Texas or Brazil, like super amounts of meat. Even if I put your favorite cake in front of you, mm-hmm. you will not be able to eat it, right? right? On the other hand, if I gave you 50 grams, like two protein shakes, and you just drank them, mm-hmm. some people may, most people will be able to keep eating because you digest the food very rapidly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So again, it has a purpose. In most cases, I prefer my clients to, you know, eat, a kilo worth of uh, vegetables rather than have a smoothie. Yeah. And for whatever reason, you are one of those people that don't have an appetite or you're very uh, malnourished. Yeah, of course, have a shake. If that's the only way that you can get veggies in, it's better than nothing. But on the other hand, for fiber, the speed of digestion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I'd rather you have you know, a big lump of steak followed with green beans, zucchini, chayote, spinach, et cetera, because it's going to make your diet more sustainable. A lot of people, when they think of keto and they, they think of a keto diet, I believe there's a lot of you know, differing opinions out there and there's a lot of different approaches. And just based on what you've already kind of shared today, I'm hearing the word lean protein and protein. I'm hearing the word vegetables. And what's interesting though, when I hear someone go on keto, kind of like I mentioned before, there's some people that it's a lot of dairy, a lot of uh, just high fat protein. What kind of approach do you take on a kind of keeping it simple yet? What do you think is something that is different from your approach with keto than others out there? So a lot of people used to say that the keto gains approach is not really keto because we don't advocate high fat. And uh, more so, we've learned and we understand uh, diet in a very different perspective. We've actually, our team is compromised of our nutritionists and dietitians and people that actually studied this. Like I've been doing keto for almost 21 years. So it's not like you're Tell, like I have people that discuss me about the diet and when are older. And again, I'm not against anyone, but most of them, their education is looking videos and YouTubes and things like that with no formal education in biochemistry. And keto by itself was popularized as a therapeutic aid mm-hmm. to help uh, uh, you know, control seizures. And so the approach that is more often known and popularized is a medical and therapeutic approach where the idea is to have the highest ketone levels mm-hmm. as to you know really feed the brain not, uh, and the avoid of glucose. Now they saw as a secondary uh, effect that kids that were doing the diet lost a lot of weight, 
And so it has been tried for also, you know, people to manage weight and control cravings and it's running functions. But if you do keto the traditional way, uh, there's a danger of losing lean mass. Even though a ketogenic diet can protect lean mass to a point, there's also the danger of losing if you're uh, underrating on protein to a point, right? Because your body will always, in a way, create glucose or need glucose even though it can make it its own, yeah, it will make some from protein, it will make some from fatty acids, etc. But the point is that people are afraid of eating protein. So we have this part that women worldwide usually under eat on protein. Totally. Like the RDA for protein and the last numbers I was looking on average, yeah, it suggested about a 60 grams for women and women tend to under eat even on the typical RDA. Again, that's pretty much uh, uh, an average. And then they go on a keto diet, and so they think they have to eat even less. So now you risk certain issues like sarcopenia, loss of bone density, et cetera, et cetera, that if you're maybe 20 years, it doesn't really matter that much. But once you're past your 30s or your 40s, you start getting in some risk. So the keto gains approach is very much in line with what Dr. Ted Neiman suggests. It's protein is for us the most important macro because it really doesn't affect ketosis in a considerable way. It's super satiating when you eat it from whole foods because people say, no, fat is the most satiating macro. That's not correct. Mm -hmm. The most satiating macro is protein along with vegetables and some fat, especially when you eat it from whole foods. Also why uh, on the comments before that the smoothies and the shakes, of, uh, the protein shakes are not suggested. Yeah, when you use shakes, and you review protein satiety, of course, it's way lowered because one part of satiety is the speed of the absorption and the transit from, you know, the digestive system. Like you, if you use shakes, it's going to be digested in between two to three hours, where it has the same amount of protein eating along with some vegetables and some fat will probably take your body eight to 12 or even more, depending on the type of protein and the mix, right? So that's one thing. The second difference is, and this is not something that I say, like people, like they throw words at us and it's like, but it's not a high fat diet. And even Dr. Finney and Bollock in their books and in their studies, they say themselves, and I can quote them because I even have that as a screenshot, that when your body's high fat, very much like what Ted says, all you need is low carb. When you start doing the ketogenic diet, yeah, that 70% of the, the fat, that your body needs is from energy. And what do you want? What, what, where do you want the fat to come from? From your fat stores or from your plate? Right. That's it. So you enter ketosis not because you're eating fat. That's where the confusion comes from. You enter ketosis when you stop eating carbohydrates. Right. The actual process is once your liver is depleted enough of glycogen, it gives or it starts burning the alternate fuel source, which is fat. And from the metabolization of those uh, of that fat and fatty acids, you get a byproduct that are the ketones. Fat, eating fat is actually not required for your body to produce ketones as long as you have adequate or some body fat. And actually, anybody has to a point sufficient body fat, unless you're a 5% bodybuilder, you still have 5% fat and you can still 
probably are going to be uh, producing ketones, you're going to feel bad, but you're still going to be producing ketones. So this is, I think, where the misconception comes from. And yeah, eating fat to a point and having a higher number of ketones will probably make you be a little bit less hungry, but so does eating more protein, eating more vegetables. So again, it's just a point about managing what you want to do with your diet. If you want to burn as much fat as possible, you don't have to go super high fat. I'm not saying zero fat, which is very different because when we explain this, people think, but you cannot be zero fat. We're never saying to be zero fat. We're just saying that you don't need to be 200 grams of fat per day and be adding fat to coffee and things like that. You can have the fat that naturally comes with certain foods like, okay, some fatty meats, uh, maybe avocado, coconut oil, some healthy meats, uh, fats, again, salmon, the, uh, the egg yolks, but not adding unnecessary fat. And especially the cases like cheese and almonds and things like that, just eating them for the sake of eating them because to a point, calories still matter. They do matter even if some people don't believe in them. <laughs> this is something that I tell them, you don't believe in calories, but calories definitely believe in you. So <laughs> that's one of the reasons probably you're not progressing. Like you, you only count carbs, that's great, but that may be that keto donut that you're having every day. If you actually look at the calories, in some cases, I've seen keto products that are higher in calories than the non-keto versions. Yeah, they probably won't raise your blood sugars. They probably won't create cravings. And if they're working for you and you manage to stay in, a, in an energy deficit, that's great. But for some people that may be, you know, three months in a plateau and are not getting results, maybe it's time to review the diet and eat more whole foods, a little bit more protein, reduce the fat intake, and just plan a little bit better the diet, and I'm sure you'll start seeing results again. Hey friends, it's Beth. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out. And I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. Now let's get back to our guests. Well, I think your your simple approach applies here, right? Where you're you're kind of saying, hey, yeah, there's keto snacks out there and there's paleo snacks and there's this. But at the end of the day, there's still a processed food. They're still in a package. They're still, it's not that you can never have them, but don't be, I don't want to use the word naive, but they're still in the center part of the grocery store. There's still something that is not obviously uh, a complete health food. And I think that's what I see a lot of times when someone switches to a certain new eating lifestyle, and, and we can use the example of keto, they just replace all their packaged processed food they were eating before with a keto packaged processed food. And then they wonder why they're not seeing the results they want to see, but also maybe not feel as good as they want to feel. And I think you're kind of like, hey, no matter how much you don't want to hear it, 
it's back to keeping it simple. It's going back to protein and vegetables at the end of the day with a little bit of fat. And you you like to use the word, the saying fat is a lever, right? That's a lever yep. and uh, a tool that you can use. I love fat. I never have a problem getting fat in my diet. But like most women out there, I have to consciously just tell myself that my meal needs to be built around that protein. And I do so much better if I just keep that simple thought that my plate, my meal, whatever it may be, build around that protein. Because that's a real simplistic way for me to just check myself and say, what's my protein? You know, what is it? Because as I think, like you said, most of us are under protein. I mean, we are. It's not an official term, but most of us are. Totally. And uh, regarding what you said, I have this uh, quote that I try to make people really grasp when they start coaching with us. And it's, let's change habits, not ingredients. Mm. You said it yourself. You start this new diet, and the, the first question is, how can I make, make keto pizza and keto bread and, you know, want to get all the recipes? It's, it's not about making recipes. This is not, it's a diet not a, or a lifestyle, not a culinary tour. Those <laughs> habits and those things were probably what got you here in the first place. So, like, if you want a pizza, go have an, a normal pizza and a slice of pizza and enjoy it and then come back to the diet because it's not something that having pizza every night and if you look at your habits usually that's the issue it's not really the the ingredients in in some case right and so so again i'm I'm like going a little bit in circles but it's again changing the habits eating simple not over complicating ourselves and we usually end up making it harder than it needs to be and for example uh, another recommendation, and it's th- these are not rules and stone, but I've seen that work very well for a lot of people. Is instead of having five meals like we usually do, because we call them two meals and two snacks or three snacks, rather just have two big meals. But when I say big, usually it's more than you used to eat, and you realize that oh, I'm gonna have this and a salad, and then if you, two hours later you find yourself actually hungry. It means usually that you didn't eat enough. And I found with women that if you have a very big protein-rich meal with vegetables and even eat a little bit past diet, especially at the start, you find yourself that you're not hungry for the rest of the day. And you can even go until the next day without eating. Very much what I want to teach people and replicate up to a point is that feeling that I was just telling yourself a few minutes ago. When you go to a Texas of Brazil and you just eat the meat, you're probably not going to eat until the next day. That's very much in a way how you should be seeing your meals. I don't care if you eat one kilo of meat. If that allows you to not eat until the next day and you're okay instead of, you know, feeling like a fakir that is fasting, you're probably on the right path because that's in a way how we used to eat before the advent of, uh, of, of agriculture. That idea of eating three every two hours and so on, it's more so like, again, like a invention. It really has no actual sense. Yeah, we now do it and most people eat like that, but it's more so, again, because we've been indoctrinated into eating like this. But for results, it doesn't really matter. And you're probably, in some cases, going to have better blood sugar controls and less hunger if you eat probably two big meals a day. 
rather than if you're eating and grazing. And satiety-wise, there are a few studies that show that under the same guidelines of calories and macros, if you have two big meals, you're probably going to end up eating less because it comes to a point where you're so satisfied that you leave something on the table, on your dish, versus if you are having, in theory, the same calories five times, you're always hungry, and so you want a little bit more, right? So in the end, that's the difference between having maybe 1,200 calories and you end up eating uh, 1,100, or your goal would be 1,200 and you're eating 1,400. I love that. I think that what you just shared, if if the world could do just that, if if we could do that simple tool, I think we could cure so many things. And I think, you know, for me, when I started just eating either kind of my, I call it my one to two meal a day, one and a half, it, it was a big big, huge difference in my life. And I felt better. I had more energy. I noticed I was eating the right foods. Like I was choosing. And you know, there's always that argument. Is it what you eat versus it? Is it when you eat? And some people start on the what you eat first and it leads them to less meals. And then some people say, no, when I started fasting and when I did, it led me to making better food choices. And I'm kind of of the the thought process that we're all different. So maybe that person who was never going to start with eating better, the fasting led them there. Great. And if if they they were never gonna they were never gonna go down that path. But for a lot of us, when we started upping our protein and adding the vegetables, we were less hungry. We were more satiated, and we used fat as a lever. Like I, you know, I think it's a especially for women. I don't know about men. I noticed that when women just don't think a little fat, you know, a little avocado is not the devil, you know, it's not this horrible thing. They all of a sudden are like, oh, my food tastes better. I'm full. Uh, Because most of them were used to like those, remember those lean, lean cuisine meals? (laughs) Remember those? Oh my gosh. That tastes like crap. You're still hungry, you know, and you're, and then you're eating all your snacks all day. So I love that, that strategy. And for you, you know, I know you're a little bit different than I am and probably our goals are different, but do you tend to just switch it up a lot? Do you eat earlier in the day or do you eat more later in the day, do you find? So um, I'm a big uh, advocate of intermittent fasting to a point because I also like to reconcile it with muscle building. And I, we actually were doing a research on this uh, paper and was halted because of the coronavirus. But if everything comes along, we should receive it probably by next year. And the purpose was very much to find that sweet spot between how much protein, how many meals per day, and find how much muscle growth you can actually achieve. Because, it like again, even if you're not a bodybuilder, the science still applies and you can learn a lot from the study. So what we normally do and suggest is... Um, there, I don't know if you're familiar with circadian rhythms. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our body has a few internal clocks that regulate when you're hungry, when you're sleepy, etc. And so a lot of hormones are uh, segregated at certain times. And if you've noticed, you usually always get hungry at about the same time. A few hours or minutes before you actually um, eat, right? So these... Um, 
uh, clocks in a way. There's some that can be changed manually in a way with habits, and some are very much dictated by the environment. Like, for example, your sleep patterns in a way are dictated by sunlight. You can override them with an unhealthy habits like, for example, melatonin starts to segregate at 9 p.m., basically when the sun starts to go down or at 7, depending on where you live. And if you don't pay attention to that first, uh, I, I like to call it the first train or the first, the first call, like you start to get sleepy, but you still have work to do or you're looking at Instagram or things like that, like, and you, you know, you let it pass. And then probably in two hours later, you're still going, you're going to get that second call, right? right? For sleep patterns, it's best to just prepare yourself for a round when you know you're usually get sleepy so that you take the first train. So you have better quality sleep. The same happens with food. You train your body to eat at certain times. And for insulin and certain hormones, it's actually better to have regular feeding patterns. Same with exercise. Have a tight schedule in a way. And when I mean tight, it doesn't have to be minute by minute, but rather, you know, within the same hours with a few variations, because we know that life is a little bit unpredictable. Because if on the contrary, if you keep switching it up, like some people think that make the body guess, doesn't work. You actually make the body uh, in a way don't function properly. That's why when we travel in airplanes, you know, the classic jet lag, it actually, you're wrecking your metabolism in a way. And people that don't sleep properly or have difficulty trying to sleep, they have wrecked their hormones. And like, for example, it's not that when you don't sleep, you get fat. It's that when you don't sleep, Certain hormones are dysregulated, like uh, cortisol, which is a catabolic hormone. So you're losing, in a way, muscle and raising blood sugar and getting hungrier and getting more cravings. And on the other hand, when you're well-rested, you have less cravings. So you are more, um, you're going to adhere to the diet much better, right? So in the end, it's about what you eat and when you eat and the amount of food you eat. And hormones dictate very much if you're hungry or not, right? Right. So it's, yeah, to a point, you can control that, but why make it harder for you? And why have to, you know, be testing your willpower? It's not about that. So it's about finding these tricks to make your body work along and for you. So in my case, what I do, I usually have two big meals per day, plus uh, what I call the keto games pre-workout that I sandwich in between my training. I prefer and have been training for a long while, like a long while, like last four or five years in the evening for two things. One, because usually when I finish my consultations and I have a little more free time. And second, because circadian wise, it's the best time to train after the evening, right? And then also it's another uh, free tidbit. Some studies do show that it appears that the, if you also train in the evening, apart from you, building more muscle, you're also going to burn more fat in the evening versus if you train in the a.m. Again, the best time to train is when you're able to, right? But the, uh, well, more so. The best time to train is in the evening. The second best time is when your schedule allows. So it's not about, okay, if I cannot train at, in the evening, then it doesn't, like, I'm not going to get results. No, it's like you're going to get results because you're still doing the work, right? But if you can choose when to train, okay, the best time would be in the evening. And food-wise, 
I always suggest it's like trying to build a house. Imagine that you call for the masons and the engineer and the architect and have them, everybody set up to build a house, but you don't give them, you know, the bricks and the cement and everything else. It's like, what are they going to be building with, right? So always try to have some food around the training so that you can optimize the results. I am not an advocate of having people train faster, especially when we're talking about strength training. If you're doing cardio or other more so, yeah, cardiovascular training, I don't really, it's not that important. Like it's ambivalent, or if you're actually strength training, the purpose is to gain strength and build muscle, then at least have a way shake like 30 minutes before training, or maybe make sure that your before meal has been in a window of four hours. Why? Because what we talked before, digestion time, it's going to take a few hours for some amino acids to actually hit the bloodstream, right? So that, that energy and also the amino acids are in a readily available form for your body to actually use. It's likely probably going to be optimal to have some food before doing training. And then people think, okay, and what do I do after training? Do I need a shake? No, just have a big meal, a very big meal, and that's it. And usually that's how I sort of space my, my, my day. It's like either have coffee in the morning, have a first meal maybe at 11, 12, then maybe train, and then have another meal after training. That's usually how it goes. So even like some people uh, think that are a little bit hesitant to start training, especially when they're trying to lose weight. And they usually ask the question is, uh, first I need to lose the fat and then I start, start the training. It's no, you, you start training yesterday. It's not like we have just an infinite amount of, uh, a finite amount of time in our lives, right? In our time on earth. And we have a limit, like building muscle is not as easy as people tend to think. It actually requires a lot of work and a lot of time. So the sooner you start, which is basically yesterday, the better. It's not going to interfere with body fat loss because there's this confusion that you will not lose weight if you start training. Let's not confuse weight, which is basically a measure of gravity in our body versus body fat. You will find usually, yeah, maybe you start training and you never trained before. People tend to think, or maybe they see that they're not losing weight as rapidly as if they were not training. Well, of course, because you're gaining muscle and retaining a little bit of water, and that's part of the process. But if we actually compare two people, that one that is strength training and the other that is not, we have maybe one lost a little bit more weight, but the other lost more measurements in the right places and lost more body fat when we actually measure it. So in the end, the one that looks better and the, the one that gets better results is the one that incorporated strength training faster or in the first place. And it doesn't have to be training, you know, like a CrossFitter two hours in the gym. It's like, again, keeping it simple. There are different starting points, depending on if you ever trained or never trained. If you're in total movies and you can only do a push-up, that's for you more than adequate because it's very much like a pro doing I don't know, 300 pounds on a bench press because you are, the, the, the magic thing and what I like about strength training is that you are training against yourself. 
you're not competing in someone else. You're improving yourself. So it's you versus you. So if you could do even one push-up today, and yesterday you couldn't do anything, that's a huge you know, accomplishment. And then maybe two days later, you can do five and then 10. And so it's progressive overload. You are getting better at certain tasks. And the great thing about, uh, also about training is that it actually translates into daily habits and uh, um, how do you say this? It's the strength that you gain translates into your life in a way. Because for example, you're, you're lifting something. You become better at lifting things in your natural, natural life. You can get, um, you, you can sit down, stand up better. You can carry things very much. Again, it's, it translates into what you do in, in every day. So in the end, it makes for better, uh, it makes your life, uh, your functional life much better. It improves your quality of life. Completely. I, you know, I was one of those that for a lot of years thought that strength was not the way to go. You know, if I went to a gym, I was going to the elliptical or the treadmill. And as I've continued to learn on my health journey through the past few years, the more I've added strength, uh, my measurements have improved. I feel more confident. I feel really capable to do a lot of things that I, you know, haven't done since I played sports in high school. You know, it's, it's just, I don't want people to be scared of strength. And, you know, like I shared yesterday, when people keep strength as their focus, it's hard to go wrong on their health journey. When the, when skinny is the focus, you can make some decisions that aren't really the healthiest. And if, if you're worried, you know, when I was, I had just had a baby last year and if you're just focused on getting skinny after having a baby, well, there's a lot of weird food choices or workout choices or different things. And you're going to get pretty frustrated and you're going to like be like, oh, uh. but if you just focus on strong, it's really, it, it sounds corny, but it's hard to go wrong. I mean, it's really, it really is. And I went through a period of, um, well, mild anorexia when I was in college. And I ended up weighing about 48 kilos. I'm currently 74. And um, I, I stopped doing strength training. And I was doing just pure cardio, spinning, and everything else. And I ended up looking like Michael Jackson with a gut. So I, 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 like, I was super lean, but, you know, skeleton lean. I didn't have abs, which I wanted. I more had, like, you know, the, the hungry kid in Africa gut. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting that you said good. it doesn't look good. That's funny that you say that because at even my like thinnest when I was doing a lot of cardio, I struggled losing my midsection. And I'm more of a midsection gainer. I that you know it's my my build. But that's so funny that you say that because I really did struggle with that midsection. And funny, the more I added strength, all of a sudden I could wear a belt. All of a sudden, and so I never had that kind of realization until you said that. Yeah, and I, and I thought that I still had to lose more. Yeah, that's and my, what I thought. My, my lowest point or realization was uh, I was putting a pair of jeans and they like they fitted perfectly, but it's like the, the length they were at my my jeans. Like, did I grow taller? What happened? Yeah. And then I looked at the label and they were my little brother jeans, like Gap Kids uh, jeans. <laughs> and I was like, this is way too far because I was already small. Mm -hmm. 
on mm-hmm. for, for a ma- for a male. And I was wearing my little brother who was at the time eight years old or seven, something like that. He's like, like geez, and like this is like yeah, crazy. And that's actually one of the reasons why I started to study nutrition and keto. Because I said everything that I'm doing is wrong. I'm losing weight, but not the right way. So what do actual bodybuilders do to maintain a lean physique and get strong without getting fat? And that led me to find about ketogenic diets for muscle building, which you can do. And that's very much one of the basis of, of keto gains, which is eating adequate protein, keeping carbs low to a point, and uh, fat, like you said, as a lever. Not much, not, not low, depends on where you at, what you want to achieve, etc. right? But yeah, that's very much the, the, the wrong idea. And actually, now in our programs and our coaching, we really don't do cardio. It's like cardio is optional if you like it, if you, that's with your cup of tea. But cardio is really not required for fat loss. You're going to be doing your cardiovascular exercises. If you're doing strength training, just check your heartbeat and you realize that you're exercising your heart and your lungs as much for some people and, and as the necessary amount as if you were just, you know, doing the treadmill and time-wise, like if you have one hour to train, cost benefit, going back to economics, it's better to, you know, train your muscles. You're also training your cardiovascular system rather than spending one hour on the treadmill. Yeah. I think you hit something so key there because I shared this observation the other day that go to a gym and just look at who's in the area of strength and who's in the area of cardio. And it, it shows you right there, the people that are just doing weights and doing very little cardio, they all look really fit and strong and not, I don't see too many people that look, um, overweight. And then ironically, where is everyone that is struggling with their weight? They're on the cardio machines. And so that light bulb was a, you know, big moment for me. And I don't know if you see this with your clients, but cardio also really affects my hunger. So if I'm doing a lot of cardio, I struggle to balance my eating. I'm so hungry. Whereas for some reason with strength training, I sure I'm hungry, but I am not to the level of hunger and I'm able to, I kind of keep myself in check more. It, it, what I know. It's actually, that's actually studied and cardio in a way is catabolic and increases hunger while, and so it, it creates, again, I'm not saying that it's wrong per se, but it creates this overcompensation effect where, okay, let's say you burn 120, 200 calories, but then you go on eight more. So you're really not achieving much, right? Of course, if you don't eat more, great, you know, you're achieving the point. But really, in my case, when I train professional athletes, we only add cardio in the last latest stages of prep and if the sport requires it. When we're talking about a very lay persons like you and me, we don't add cardio. I take it out precisely because it's going to make diet more sustainable and fat loss comes from the habits in the diet. And on the other side, when you actually strength train, lots of people find, again, not everyone, but most, that it actually takes hunger away. Yeah. You actually are not hungry for two or three hours later. It may, it does have to do a little bit with hormones and everything else, adrenaline or adrenaline, Things like that, but again, 
some type of training works in your favor and the other works a little bit against you. So it's balancing again and getting the best bang for your buck. Yeah, I love that. Um, Well, I have just enjoyed so much of our time and everyone knows on my show, I, I never want to kind of it to end because I feel like you've given us so many pearls of wisdom from your journey and your expertise. And um, I guess before we end, I know there's going to be a lot of people who maybe just were introduced to you today. How do they connect with you? How do they find you? How do they get more information uh, from you? For sure. Uh, basically, any, everything that you see on the web is uh, key to gains. It's us. Okay. We're a company. We do one-on-one coaching. We do group coaching. We do interventions. Uh, we actually also do uh, corporate assessments, uh, government assessments. We work with any type of clients. So just you know, send us an email, or you can look for me on Instagram at KetoGains as well. Send me a private message if you have any questions, if you want to join any of our programs, etc. I'm always trying to answer and help people out in their health journey. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, this has been so helpful. And I hope that we have you back at some point so that we can get to all the other questions that are just flooding my mind. But as we end today, if you had one piece of bold advice for our listeners today, what would it be? What would it be? So I'd like to share this thought. It's like, let's try to like we were saying, keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate ourselves. It's about changing habits, not ingredients. Mm. And very much, if you can do one thing today that probably uh, is going to impact your health, I'd suggest trying to get sugar. Mm-hmm. We don't know how many, or maybe we know how many foods and drinks we're currently eating, probably your audience is much more informed on, on, the, on the issue. But if we start eating mostly whole foods, again, it doesn't have to be 100% because I'm a big enemy of perfection. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm more so fo- uh, try to follow the good enough approach. So following Pare- Pareto's law, right? Like that 20% of what you do is going to probably give you the 80% of your results. In this case, let's turn it around and think that yeah, the diet can be 80% perfect or 80% good enough mm-hmm. and try to make that 80% focus on whole nutrient-dense foods with minimal sugar. And you're probably going to get incredible results. That's so doable. It feels hard, I know, but it's so doable and it's simple and straightforward. So thank you for your time and I wish you all the best. Can't wait for us to talk again soon. Thank you for having me, Beth. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you. You.